0: Let's pray and then we'll get right after it. Father, uh, you are good. You've, you've been good. You have exceeded the bounds of goodness even when we don't believe it. And so God to just join in the chorus that we've been singing that has been a declaration of your majesty, you your worth, has been a reiteration of the resolve of a heart that loves you, To say, here I am, all of me, do it, it as you wish. Such a terrifying yet tremendous affirmation. God, we need you to continue to speak to us, and so we open your word in faith, with belief that there's relevance here, there's... Wait here, there's need here, but we don't need me, (laughs) we need you, and so God move me out the way, focus my mind in the moment, fight for us through the elimination of distractions, whether they come from me, they're in our hearts, or what have you, so that your voice would boom through your texts and in our hearts and lives for this day and every day moving forward. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. A couple things before I start um, my timer. It's good to be back. Um, And so a couple of housekeeping items. That's awkward, Will. I didn't even know that you're back there, but I know your voice from anywhere. William Solua, Solua. Oh, now I'm smiling. That's like a legit smile, because that was like legit. Um, excitement. However, you're taking my time and I don't want to take. So um, two housekeeping things. The first is in view of what uh, William, um, with his booming voice uh, acknowledged, which has been gone for five weeks um, every year. It's annual theme me and my family look forward to, which is our sabbatical. And so we, we get away for five consecutive weeks. Of, it's a time of refreshment, uh, reflection and refinement, that's the three R's, i.e. the crutch of the uncreative, you're welcome. Um, and yeah, and it, and it was just that, and, and really just wanted to say, man, thank you to our Brooke family um, for making that possible. Yeah, so yeah, you should, you should clap for yourself. That's, that's who deserves the woo. Um, seriously, just a tremendous sense of gratitude for you guys, and man, we can't get away without you. And so we don't run from you. Um, it was hard to be away, but man, we are grateful for, for you guys and those who have joined the family in the, the time we were away, um, those who have gone deeper in, and just just thank you for, for being you, for what you allow for us to experience. It was a really refreshing time. Thank you to um, the servant team leaders who are a consistent reminder that Anything of consequence is not built on a single individual, unless that individual is Jesus Christ. Um, but it is built by people who serve freely, fully, and sacrifice. And so, all the servant leaders, um, and just thank you so much for your your task, the work that you've done, and um, you know, I was talking to Chip this morning, and just this idea that man, I'm I'm just looking forward to to sliding into what you have been building not just the ship and the forts you've been holding down, but how you've been building and strengthening. I'm really excited to just join in that work. And then with our pastors who've been shepherding through the word of God, um, who will be installed formally um, at the end of the service. So people are going to now have firing privileges, which is a big deal. I mean, think about it in many ways. Um, But yeah, and so, so much to be said. But the first housekeeping item is one of, of gratitude, I know often when somebody goes away on sabbatical or something like that, there's always that, you know, in the soul, is he coming back? You know, this, is this, did they get tired of Miami? Um, and I just just want to say, I don't know if you've seen um, The Dark Knight, right, Christian Bale, it, it was before Robert Patterson that throned him as the best Batman and the best Bruce Wayne. Facts, all facts, no cap. Um, but, like at that moment where, you know, Selena Cowell, Anne Hathaway, she's like, come on, let's go, let's get out of here. Um, and he, she's like, "And you've given everything that you got to give, like, you don't owe them anything. And he brooding as Christian Bale broods in Batman, he's like, I haven't given them everything, there's still something left. And I just want to restate that, and like there's still stuff in the tank to be here at the brook in Miami, like God isn't calling me away in case there's confusion or concern around that. Um, So that's the first housekeeping item. The second housekeeping item is in view of uh, what the servant team leaders have been working on and how it fits into the goal for the year. Really, the foreseeable feature of our church is this, this renewed emphasis around spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a process of growing in Christ-likeness. Now, some call that discipleship, um, some call that progressing in Christian maturity. Okay. There's so many ways that you could use to describe that. But for me, I think the precision that we're after is found by using the idea of spiritual formation and really trying to form a people into someone so that we could accomplish some things. And the way that we're going to really step into that more is the well. It is our reimagined take on spiritual formation, cultural engagement, primarily from the context of content, but spiritual formation, cultural engagement, and leadership development. It's our intentional, reimagined push towards that end where we want to come alongside every single member and every single person that graces our body so that they could grow. That's it, that's really not, it's not complex. It's very simple so that they could grow. And the team has been working hard on strengthening the platform that we could use to, to do that. Think Sunday school classes if you're of that generation. Think online courses if you're, to just strengthen how we grow. However, we need you. We need you. We want you. We want you to join into this process, the well. And so we need your contact information. Uh, We're not sure if we have up-to-date contact information on everybody, but we need it. And so for the next week, we're asking you to respond to the, the links that are sent out, whether that's the newsletter, whether that our texting services, whether that's social. Respond to the link so that we could get your contact information so that we could send you a spiritual temperature check so that you could self-assess where you are in your spiritual journey. It may be more humbling than you think but take it with honesty, say this, move on. And then we're going to start time and go. So probably one of the most refreshing sabbaticals I've had in a long time, the last four years have been wild. I didn't realize that until this summer, but I started biking again. Um, and so <laughs> it was actually Saturday, very humbling experience. So I was biking before Saturday, but I started biking and anyway. Saturday I bike from where I live. I live in little Haiti. And so I took Northeast second, um, all the way up towards the beach, that beautiful bridge, and then all the way back, 79th, to my house. And so I'm out there. I'm in my gear, you know, like my stretchy pants, my little cycling jersey, helmet, you know. I'm getting it. And so then I get to that bridge, and it humbles me because most of Miami is flat. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. This is a quad burner. So I'm like, I right, get off my You know, I just get after it. And so as I'm now on the beach off this bridge, descending, I'm going, I hear somebody behind me like whistling. And I'm like, man, I'm not moving that fast. And it's this guy on a bike, speeds past me. Then he looks back at me like, because, you know, I just, I just got off the bridge, but quads burning a little bit. So I'm taking my time here and his pace was different. He had a better bike. I have me a little road bike situation. His had one of those ones where you could like rest your arms there. His shades were better, his calves were bigger, because I'm behind him, so I'm staring at him. I'm like, man, you have big, nice legs. It's interesting. (laughs) And he's just getting it. This is when I realized I'm a competitive person. I think I forgot that. But he starts getting it, so I'm like, bet, let's go. And so like, I get up, and I try to catch him. Didn't work. (laughs) Humbling experience. It showed me where I really was on my cycling journey. I thought, like, you know, I got this gear on. Like I looked the part, you know, I'm over here making this loop 20 miles. I'm thinking I'm good. And then I realized his pace was different and he's in a different place than I am. Does that make sense? This spiritual assessment is a temperature check. It is to tell you where you are. Some of us have all the gear of Christianity and we're not Christians. Some of us have all the gear of perceived Christian maturity. You show up, but you talk to your wife all sorts of ways. You talk to your husband all sorts of ways. And what I want to say is humbling moments can be super helpful moments. Because immediately I was like, okay, I know what to do now. I don't need more gear because that's expensive, but I'm just going to alter my pace a little bit. When we send this assessment out, take it with integrity so that we could adjust accordingly and move forward in growth, timer started. That's actually the pivot into where we're gonna be today and the next few weeks. Matthew chapter six, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, meet me there. It's in the New Testament, it's towards the end of the Bible. We are going to live in a prayer primarily because we are after strengthening how we see, understand, and experience spiritual formation. And there's really the core five. When you think about the means of spiritual formation, not just the marks, but the means of spiritual formation, the means, the tools by which we grow into likeness, the scriptures really give us five. There's Widespread agreement with these five in no particular order. You have the word of God, you have prayer, you have community, you have um, intentional Christian service, you have mission. That's five. Did I miss? That's five. One, two, three, four, five. I caught all five. I was nervous for a second there. You reduce or remove any and you lose all. God uses all of those to grow us, you have a particular one that you emphasize. Some of you, you just love the idea of missions, going out and sharing your faith that people may know the God you love. Others of you, you're like the idea of opening my mouth to talk about Jesus is equivalent to getting my wisdom teeth removed. I don't want to do it. So what you do is you just kind of adjust, you chew on one side of your mouth. And so now what you do is like, I'm not gonna open my mouth to talk about Jesus. I'm just gonna live a great life. And then they'll know. It doesn't work that way. Some of us have have hit a ceiling in our growth because we've removed ourselves from intentional Christian service. If you live in Miami, some of our maybe visiting, but if you live here and you're part of the flow of our city, Miami will burn you out. Christian and non Christian. It's part of the culture and it seeps into the church and churches, which really just pride themselves on being an elaborate show, which is amazing, by the way, takes a lot of effort. They burn people out. And in churches that are smaller, they're always looking for volunteers instead of calling the family into service. So they burn people out. And so you may have been part of a church like that. And so you've kind of said, well, you know what, this is a new experience. So I'm just going to keep to the sidelines. And what's happened is, you've actually had your growth stifled. And what's, what's supplanted the beauty of intentional Christian service is consumerism. Not helpful. I'll have to say, we could go down the list of the core five. Each of them are critical. But the more I examine, the more prayer stands as this jewel for me. Because prayer is the thing that you can't force and you could only fake to a certain extent. Your prayer life tells the truth about you. It's truth serum. Like ice cream is truth serum for middle schoolers. Our prayer is truth serum for the soul. It tells on us. And I've noticed you believe it deep in your heart that prayer matters, Christian or not, because we all do it. There is a time in our life where we're driven to pray all of us. And if you're a Christian, you believe deeply that you should have a robust prayer life. But here's what I know. We also know that cultivating a robust prayer life is far more difficult than we'd like to admit. Yet it's far more critical than we could ever imagine. It's difficult, it's hard, but it's critical. Listen, the work of spiritual formation is God's work to complete. This is Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. God started something in you. I don't care where you are on your journey. God will finish it. And when he finishes it, you will be full of joy. This is Jude. Now unto him who was able to keep us and bring us to the end, present us before him, blameless, filled with joy. So when God finishes the work, no matter where you are at the end, you're going to be full of joy. I'm glad he did it. It's God's work to complete. But just because spiritual formation, the, the work of producing Christ-likeness in a Christian is God's work to complete. Doesn't mean that we stand off to the sides and do nothing. It's God's work to complete and our responsibility and our work to participate in. Let me blitz you briefly. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much, much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do something, grow. But here's the caveat, for it is God who works in you both to will, that's, that's want to, he creates desires, and to work, that's energy, he activates in you actions. Go do some stuff for his good pleasure. First Corinthians 15:10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain. The grace of God is his unmerited favor. God giving us what we don't deserve and can never earn. Unmerited favor. That's the grace of God. But that's 1A. 1B, the flip side of the grace of God, is not just his unmerited favor, but his divine empowerment. God filling us with power and strength to do what is absolutely necessary. What Paul said is God's grace, his favor and power was not in vain. On the contrary, this is what he says, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles who had better lives. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. If you are a Christian, God's grace is in you. And it is not merely that you would just delight in it, but it would drive you to some significant, transformative actions. Last scripture, Romans 16, it's one of my favorite doxologies. Now unto him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. God doesn't give arbitrary strength. Sam, this bike journey is interesting because you see people who are working out. I'm like, oh man, get busy. Haven't been in the gym in a minute, but I know those people, you know, those people who are gym rats and they get tired as they jog. It's like, fam, that's because all you're doing is lifting weights. And you just want to be seen. You have all these muscles, but they're not functional. God doesn't give arbitrary strength. Like most people who live in Miami that look the part but would die on a treadmill. God strengthens us for a reason, and the reason is our progress in the faith. This is why prayer for me stands out as the jewel, because prayer pulls us closer to the heart of God it, 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 it puts our, our mouths to his ears. It draws us into his atmosphere, into his orbit. And it is not just requests, but there's requests there. And in the request, you are asking God for things. And if God is working and he's calling us to work, we need help. And that will not happen apart from prayer. And so we need to live in this prayer for a little bit. One, to find help, but two, to clarify what should be in our hearts and what should ultimately shape our lives as the people of God. What are we growing for? What does growth look like? And this prayer, these petitions, they create a tremendous picture that is worth gazing at, and delighting in, and they create some simple practices for life that are worth pursuing. Picture and practices for life for the people of God. That is the prayer that we're examining for the next few weeks. Today we're going to look at the first petition and the lead-in for the rest of our time and The flow of our time will really just be examining a rebuke and a charge. This is part of the lead in. And then moving on to this, what can best be described as uncommon communion. And then closing with some habits for the heart. And might I say, I believe God gave me a word at the end. All of this is from him, but at the end, I do believe. There's something specific that God wants me to say. Let's read it and take it bit by bit. A rebuke and a charge. Uncommon communion. Habits for the heart. I'm already sweating. We in here. Let's go. 6, 5, 13. Um, It reads like this. And you pray. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you. They have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I love the Let's get to work. So let's... Let me just frame this Let me pull out two particulars that just frame what's happening here and it brings weight and builds out the rebuke and the prayer itself. If you've heard me talk about this prayer, you know, this prayer is rich for me. It is rich in the life of our church. Our vision comes from this, comes from John four, our values are birthed from this. they, They just, they're just embedded in this text. This prayer matters to me deeply. You also know that I believe this prayer is poorly titled, and so if you're looking at your Bible, I'm reading from the ESV, preaching from the ESV is primarily where we're gonna be preaching and teaching from as a church for the foreseeable future. But what, what you have is you have little subheadings, and this heading is the Lord's Prayer. I just don't think that is the most helpful title for this. I understand why it's there, but I don't think it's as helpful as we might think. In fact, I think it's unhelpful in many ways, and it can be a little distracting. This isn't the Lord's prayer in the sense that we know with certainty that Jesus didn't pray these words like this. Maybe some of the petitions, but not all of them because of the fourth, the fourth petition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus Christ never uttered those words for himself. Jesus doesn't ask for forgiveness. He offers it. Forgiveness in in the gospel, forgiveness, it entails not just this restoration dynamic, not just renewal, but rescue. The inclusion of forgiveness identifies the reality of rescue. We need forgiveness from God. God needs to rescue us from ourselves and from his hand. Jesus doesn't need rescue. He comes to rescue. So it's not the Lord's prayer in that sense. It is the Lord's prayer in the sense of this is what he wants for his people. Emphasis on the people aspect collectively, not individually. Notice the language, plain reading. There is not one singular pronoun in the possessives. This is not my father, although that's true, we'll get there. This is not give me, although we need it, you should ask for it. This is our and us, they're plural possessives. That means practically, this really is the prayer of the people of God. So when we pray this, we are intended to be shaped, not just us individually, but us collectively as a church, the next five weeks is shaping us. Join in. Another framing aspect of this that I think is necessary is where this is situated in the story of Matthew. In the the story of Matthew, the story that Matthew is telling specifically towards a Jewish audience that they would see Jesus as the promised Messiah. But in the story that he's telling, we have what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is a series of conversations or sermons where Jesus is shaping lives. He is laying in front of people a vision of Of human flourishing people experiencing utmost good in view of God's utmost grace because God himself is at the center this is vision of human flourishing and it's attached to a vision of the kingdom of God and as he is unfolding this tremendous vision of the kingdom of God he is Transforming what people have heard and understood regarding God and themselves. So you get that refrain. You've heard it say, but I tell you. He is correcting and instructing. Have you ever been strong and wrong? Found out a few days ago, I was strong and wrong in the worst way. I love music. Born in the 80s, raised in the 90s. So you know me. You know what 90s R&B does to my heart. So I'm, I'm listening to music as I'm working, transitioning back in. Cupid comes on. You know Cupid, 112? 112 in their prime, y'all. It's glorious. Slim, all of them. And so I'm listening. I don't know. I just happen to be in the zone. And, and, and it's like, girl, if I told you. I, and, and, I, and I'm like, wait a second. Hold on. I've been saying this wrong the whole time. It was so frustrating and humbling. I used to say like, if I told you, it doesn't mean that I don't care. Gaby, I'm so touched at all the ways, that's not what he says. I was like, and so then I'm like, clearly I must be mistaken. So, you know, if you go to your Apple music, you could put the lyrics on so you can see what's happening. So then I look at the lyrics. And it says, baby, I'm so tired of the ways you turn my words into deceptions and lies. And I was like, oh my God, it makes so much more sense. Right? But I would be singing it strong. You go ask my kids. They're like, Cuba, Cuba, strong and wrong. What Jesus is doing is he's clarifying those who are strong and wrong. You thought God was just like you. He's not. You thought God delighted in these sacrifices and didn't care about justice. He doesn't. And it makes so much more sense. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it gives clarity to the entire Old Testament. And so he is reframing who God is in route to transforming the lives of a people. And so built into this atmosphere, is correction and instruction. It's formation. This is why this prayer is formation. And it shows up in the lead up. The lead up is a rebuke and a charge. Notice the rebuke. We might be familiar with it, but, but I'll read part of it again. There's, there's two rebukes, but there's depth to them. The first rebuke is this. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, And be seen. There's a force here that we miss because of how we use hypocrite now. So when we use hypocrite, we use it as almost a catch-all for all incongruence. So, an example would be, like, you say something with your words, but it's not lining up with your actions. And so we say, you're a hypocrite. But if you measured up, you would no longer be a hypocrite. So now it becomes primarily a a way we understand incongruence. That is not hypocrite originally. The etymology of the word is so much more powerful than that. That originally this idea of a hypocrite was really somebody who was a performer. They would wear a mask and they would take on a part. And perform. So the emphasis is looking a particular way, not merely not measuring up what your words and your actions should be. Does that mean it's how you look? It's performance oriented. There's a sting that Jesus is getting at. And the sting is the way you pray is primarily to be seen a particular way and to receive what you value most, which is not good from the hand of God, it's collapsed from other people. He is rebuking prayer as performance. But check this, this is a series of rebukes. So earlier before this, you talk about what it looks like to interact with your resources and your treasures. What comes after this, again, this is the Sermon on the Mount. What comes after this is Jesus talking about fasting There's a set of assumptions that we should get there. He is is talking not merely about the acts themselves, but spirituality in general. We know that too, because he says when you pray, the assumption being that you will actually be praying, that this will be part of your life. And so what Jesus is rebuking in, in in this complex right here as the Sermon on the Mount, he's not rebuking merely prayer as performance. He's rebuking performative spirituality. It is spirituality that's a charade. It is spirituality that has no roots in the heart of God, but it has roots in your insecurity. He is rebuking performative spirituality that keeps people distant from God. It's a major rebuke. Don't be like those whose primary aim is to be seen, not substance. This rebuke stings our city because our city is plastic. In more ways than one year, one in Miami had a person come up to me and they talked about how all of their friends, their graduating gifts, were cosmic surgery. And I don't say that to belittle anybody who's experienced cosmic, cosmetic surgery, but man, the culture that just reduces the beauty that God has given to all people and then says, you have to look some type of, it is just so nonsense. If you Kendrick, I know some people don't like Kendrick, but in humble, give me something natural stretch marks, listen to me, if you are a mom and you have stretch marks, those are marks of beauty. They remind the world of the gospel in multiple ways. The first being that the curse that came from our rebellion, Adam and Eve, part of it was that from the sweat of our brows, we would live. That means our lives are met with resistance. Things don't work the way they should. But God has that set up, not that we would force our way through the difficulty, but we would turn our hearts towards him. That life would bring us to the edge of ourselves where God could say, good, let's do work. Furthermore, he says, woman, part of this thorns and thistles and life by the sweat of your brow, life met with resistance, is you're going to experience pain in childbearing. It's going to hurt. Women giving birth is a miracle. Do you know how dangerous it is for the baby and the mom? It is a miracle. Every one of us in here are products of a miracle. And every stretch mark is a signpost of the miraculous. It furthers the truth of the gospel because God said, though, you're going to have pain in birth from your pain. A seed will be produced who will transform the world, Jesus Christ. So every time a mom gives birth, it is a call back to the promise of God. Those stretch marks are beautiful. Don't erase them. Don't let anybody look down on them. Our city is plastic. It excels in a superficial. Thus, Christianity in Miami often excels in a superficial. And so this rebuke is towards us. As Miamians, particularly Christians in Miami, to rebuke against prayer as performance and performative spirituality. Don't live a charade. He's not just rebuking that. There's more, he is coming for Miami right now, and I feel it, I've felt it since I've read this, I've felt it more this summer, he's coming for us. He's not just rebuking prayer as performance or performative spirituality. He is rebuking prayer as bartering and manipulative spirituality. Read the the latter rebuke. He says this. And when you pray, verse 7, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. What what he's doing there is he's, he's saying, don't think... That in your babbling, in your stringing together of words you think God wants to hear, He is now going to be moved to action. Don't think that your prayers are magical incantations. Expecto patronum. Say the right phrase, something beautiful happens. It's Harry Potter. There's this idea that has been just gaining steam for the last two years. I've been detached from social for a bit, may not go back, but I'm still hearing it. And it's this idea of manifesting, right? Y'all, y'all like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because some of y'all are doing it. I'm gonna manifest me a husband right now. I've seen it. I was like, what are you doing? I'm manifesting. That's awkward. Stop. Put your hands down. (laughs) I would say that the church of Jesus Christ, we bear responsibility for the madness, which is manifesting. See, exhibit A, prosperity gospel, which is just manipulation. I do all sorts of things, and then now God's going to give me what I want. See exhibit B, which is the replacement of the prosperity gospel in our current present moment, which is the positivity gospel. Now, God has just come to make me feel better about myself and give me some type of life that is devoid of any type of pain. And when it's pain, it's just making me better. So I got to take it. But by and large, I'm just going to be happy. And when I have hard times, I have a therapist in God. And maybe I'll go to a pastor, but now I'll just go get a therapist as well. It's a positivity gospel. The church by and large, we bear responsibility for the distortions of relationship with the spiritual. So this idea of manifesting, and I I don't say that to shade anybody, it actually reveals something deep about you and me, which we are built for the spiritual. We are built for the majestic. We want more than what we can see, touch, or taste. And God says, good, because you were created for it. But here he is rebuking prayer as bartering. If I have the right words, if I pray the right amount of times, if I string together all of this, I could get God to do what I want. And again, because he's not re- just rebuking acts, he's rebuking a type of spirituality. He's rebuking spirituality that is primarily manipulative. The math doesn't always work. It is not Holiness plus more holiness equals a good life, free of pain. That is not Christianity. That is what Satan promises. This last rebuke for me, I'm gonna say this to move on for time's sake. This last rebuke for me hits differently because I see this rebuke and I see us as a city I see my life, and I see the ways in which I unwittingly try to manipulate God. And I see Joshua. The story of Joshua is so fascinating that Joshua is getting ready to take Jericho. And as he's getting ready to take Jericho, he sees the angel of the Lord. Sword drawn. What we understand that to be is pre-incarnate Jesus. So this is Jesus before he took on humanity, flesh, bones, bones, and blood, okay? And so you see Jesus, sword drawn, and Joshua says to the angel of the Lord, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on the side of our enemies? Whose side are you on? And the angel of the Lord says, no. No. And what follows is powerful. Where you are, Joshua, is holy ground. Joshua now knows what's going on. And then what happens afterwards is you have Jericho, the walls of Jericho, the strong city being taken down, not by Joshua's strategy, who was a military genius, not by Joshua's strength and the mighty men he had with him, but by singing by the Spirit of God, showing us something powerful. There is a question and it is not whether or not God is on my side, it's whether or not I am on His. And when I look at this prayer and I look at this rebuke, it just punches me because it says I need to get on God's page, not try to manipulate Him to get on mine. And if I find that me and God are not on the same page, it is not, I just need to do all this stuff to get God on my page. I need to get on his. I need to press into God. Well, what do you actually want from me? Which is why the charge is powerful. It's not just these rebukes, but there's this charge here, which carries a whole complex of assumptions. He says, seek your father in the secret place. First, he's identifying there is a God who sees all. God's gaze is powerful. That terrifies many of us because if you saw all of this, which includes some of the challenges I'm experiencing, why aren't you doing different? What Jesus does is he says, seek God, your father, father. He is emphasizing a particular identity and not just merely God's capacity to see all, but he's emphasizing God's identity as father. And that should produce a sense of peace and trust and desire, which is why it springs into the first petition, which fuels and frames the rest. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, it communicates this dynamic idea of who God is. God as father, God as father. The implications abound. It's not God as boss. So my work in the Christian life is not punching in the clock and then punching out So I could go do whatever I want. My work in the Christian life is utterly relational. God as father. Personal. This is revolutionary. Most of us are deist and we don't even know it. We believe in a God. We just don't believe that he can actually be noble. And if he's knowable, we don't believe that he wants to be close. We believe that he or she is distant. All sorts of expressions of deism. The idea of a God who is up close and personal and involved in the affairs of the world and the affairs of my life. That is what is embedded in this idea of God as father. He's personal. Being a father is one of the joys I have in my life. It's a beast, but it's a joy. My kids do not have the power to stop me from loving them. They don't have the power. I am their father. They can't undo that no matter what they do. Period. I don't have the power to stop God from loving me. There is no action that I could take that will undo his reality as father in my life and I rest in that. It's freeing. Rest in that church. Personal. But it's not just our father, our father in heaven. Powerful. The throne of God is beyond the stars, which he knows all of them by name. This is Isaiah. He stretches out the heavens as a robe, as a jacket, as a cardigan to clothe himself in. He calls out the host of heavens by name and not one of them is missing. He's powerful. Personal and powerful, this is the God Jesus is saying, pray to him, talk to him, have intimacy with him. Uncommon communion. Uncommon communion is this idea, got it from one of my mentors, it it really for sort of a series of conversations that we had. It was also in a book that he wrote. And um, he, he talks about uncommon communion as this deep heart connection between God and us. It's hard to describe. Specifically, he's talking about how leaders, the leaders that last, they have uncommon communion. They just want God. They just want him. The reason I want to stay there is because our father in heaven is actually not a petition. It's just an affirmation. It's just him affirming something. He's affirming a truth that we desperately need. God is personal and powerful, our father in heaven. The petition is seismic. Hallowed be your name. This concept of hollowed, the most basic way to understand it is that something would be treated as holy, but even that might not be helpful because of how we understand holy. If you exist in a Protestant context, you primarily think about holiness as moral perfection. You primarily think of holiness through the lens of purity. That is not the way the scriptures primarily talk about holiness. They primarily talk about holiness through the lens of altogether different and unique. Holy, holy, holy. Yes, it speaks to moral perfection and purity and beauty, all of that. God's morally perfect in, all, in the expressions of his love. He's morally perfect in expressions of his, his wrath, the fierceness thereof. But the holiness of God, it burns brighter than just moral perfection. It speaks to us altogether differentness. No rivals, no equals, in a league of his own. No one or thing that resembles him. He's holy, he's different, he's unique. And then this, this idea of holiness, he then Trans, transfers that to his people. It says, You be holy like I'm holy. And it's not merely be put together and morally perfect, it's be different. There was nothing innately wrong about eating pork. But God said, Don't eat pork because you're holy. Because now, in your abstinence for this, your unique way that you're relating to pork, you're gonna tell the story about me, who I am as God and holy and different and how when I come and touch something, it becomes holy and clean. Evidence in the life of Jesus. Hollowed. Would you be treated utterly differently, oh God? But hollowed speaks not just to how we treat something, right? It doesn't just speak to our actions. It speaks to our affections. It speaks to how we feel. We all have things that are hollowed in our lives, things that we treasure. If you've got a new pair of shoes, it's hollowed. You tiptoeing them. Got some Jays right before I went on sabbatical. Wore them up here. Somebody came up to me. They're like, Moochie, I noticed you were moving a little bit gingerly. It's like I was. I was tiptoeing in my Jordans. I've only worn them like five times. This is number five. Amen. I'm relating to them differently than the rest of the kicks in my closet. Some of you have the fine china that you only bring out when the special guests come. Some of you got that zhuette that gear that you put on when you want to get chose. I know, I know you guys, it's hollowed. You treasure it differently. And then you relate not just to it differently, but you relate to everything else differently. And Jesus is saying that the first request that you utter to God when you're in his presence, when you're in presence of the personal, powerful God of the universe, the first thing that you utter to him is not forgive us of our debts. It's not give me this day my daily bread. It's not lead us not into temptation. It's not... Bring your kingdom on earth. The first thing that you utter from your heart in the presence of the almighty is God, would you make your name beautiful in my life? The first thing is adoration. Because that which you treasure, you instinctively treat differently. And so he's saying, In the presence of this personal, powerful God, the first petition is God, would your name be made beautiful? Would I see you not as useful, but as beautiful? God, expand the way I understand you. God, pull back the veil so I get a clearer picture of your greatness as Father. God, pull back the veil so I get a greater picture of your glory and your power as king whose throne is in heaven. God, let me just get a glimpse. Let me see. Let me taste. Let me savor. Let me delight in you. That is the petition. That you would be treasured. It's a petition that shapes everything else. It fuels everything else, which is why we close with habits. And here's a word from the Lord. Take it or leave it. We can't outwork our habits. And our habits will outlast us. We can't outwork our habits, and our habits are going to outlast us. Period. And generationally, Generationally, fam I had a birthday yesterday. Thank you for everybody who, who you know said happy birthday, participated in the video. I'm exiting my cone of silence. The battle is over. I'm here. Let my kids tell it, I turned 90 yesterday. I'm like, what fam? Don't let the grace confuse you. Jesus' name. Generationally, still in my 30s. Closer to 40, amen. People start listening to you. Back hurts a little bit more. But generationally, I'm talking to you millennials. I'm talking to you, Generation Z. Generationally, we really believe good intentions can overcome bad habits, and that is not true. It's just not true. The generation above us. They had some bad habits, but they worked hard and differently. My dad talked about how he used to cut grass with a machete and a ruler. Why? <laughs> Fam, that doesn't make any sense. Uh-uh. Gonna, doesn't make, you're not gonna explain to me why you cut grass with a ruler and a machete. I don't care if you're in Africa or America. Figure something else out. But there was a different level of diligence. It just, it just, is what it is. And our generation, hear me, we believe our intentions are it and it's just not true. And it shows up in simple ways. If I just retweet or send a post, that's the same as actually being an activist. It is not, it is not, but that's what we do. I'm just giving you some of my influence and I intend good things. And there's a spirituality that we are going to be seduced by. I am the identity over activity guy. Who we are becoming matters. And it should show up in what we're doing, but who we're becoming matters. However, this weird spirituality in our moment right now, where it's a lot of talk, it's a lot of introspection but it's not action is dangerous and ungodly and birthed from the very pit of hell and our generation are the perpetrators of it because we like the idea of putting things together and wrestling through ideas and feels and emotions we need action we need habits we need rhythms we need predictability. We need consistency. We need the grind. We don't run from the grind. See Kevin Durant. He's probably not listening to this, so it's fair. And so the habits, I'm, I, I'm giving us this habits, but I'm, I'm really looking at those who are 18 to 39. I'm talking to you. It's all of us, but if you fall in that category, I just want you to know you're who I particularly have in mind. First habit, then we're moved. This was long, my God. Habits for the heart. First, it's understanding this. Noble intentions plus ongoing intentionality equals transformative habits. So you do need good intentions, but we need ongoing intentionality. Gotta be more predictable. Predictability is not a bad thing, I promise. It, it feels like boredom, but there's beauty in the mundane and the predictable. I like knowing my wife is going to be there. It's predictable and it's a good thing. Second, rekindle the memory of God's fill in the blank. That is an assignment for you. Today, tomorrow, sometime this week, before you come back next week, Fill in this blank. I need to rekindle the memory of God's It could be, man, I just need to rekindle the memory. This idea of rekindle. I need to to be refreshed by, I need to stir it up again, I need to fan it to flames, I need to grow, I need to increase the memory of God's goodness in my life. So I need to grab onto a moment where God was really good to me, I need to hold it, and I need to talk to God and say, God, I want to experience that more and more today than I did in the past. Rekindle the memory of whatever. Because I'm looking at our generation and I'm watching people take apart the Christian faith, but not put it back together again. And it does not work, it does not help. And so we gotta grab onto some, some vibrant memories and say, God, I need this rekindled in my life. Third, third habit, designate the secret place, then protect it and pursue it. That secret place could be your porch at 5 a.m. in the morning. Find it. That secret place could be Panther Coffee, the one in Midtown that nobody really goes to. So, you know, you can get work there, there you know. You go there at 2 p.m. because nobody's really there at all. And secret place. It could be on the beach. You designate the secret place. Luke 5, Matthew 14, Jesus consistently getting away, withdrawing to the secret place to be with God. Designate it. Find it. And then protect and pursue it. Mark it in your calendar so that you get a reminder every single day, I need a secret place. And then the last would be be present in community. Emphasis on present. What that means is don't merely show up, but dig in. Give yourself give yourself to others when we give ourselves to others in faith god grows us in unique ways give yourself to others be present in community sunday fam. so this i'm closing so we're gone for five weeks so we're not here not preaching all that but we're traveling to different churches that we helped started that we partnered with got sick over the summer it was a weird situation but I was like, man, it's easy not to go to church on Sunday. Like, I knew that. Like, I knew it, like, you know, cognitively. But I'm like, I'm not waking up at 6 a.m. I'm not, what? I'm about to play this RPG on my PS5. Cause I can't do that because I'm going to be spiritual. So I'm going to read one of these seven books I wanted to read this summer. That's. And what I want to say is, we know it's hard to get here on Sundays, man. Is he going to talk too long? Are they going to sing my favorite song? Man, what are we going to talk about? Man, I know there's another church that's closer, which if it's closer and healthy, find it. I'll help you. Man, there's this other church. That's really booming. I wonder if Kanye is going to be seen there. Maybe I'm going to get seen there. Let me wear my right drip. So I can get chose, man. I like the brook, but I mean, I'm looking for a spouse. I don't know if the brook is going to have that. I know. Am I gonna fit? A little bit older. God walks J's. He was talking about 112. I don't know who that is. <laughs> right? Right? There's all sorts of, and then we're just like, oh, I'm just not gonna do it, and it becomes a pattern of not doing what is most necessary. So I just want to say, come Sundays not for performance, because this is where God meets us uniquely and being present in community is being here on Sundays. And when you come, it's actually not just for you. First and foremost is for God, but it's also for others. Stepped out here, super distracted, because I could finally see some people. I'm like, man, I just love you guys. And that's other people as well, to see your faces. Be present in community. We suffer when you're absent as a body. Be present. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us, our debtors, as we forgive those we're indebted to. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would the next few weeks take those words and embed them deep in our hearts? Father, we need you. Take the offering of the sermon and multiply it for good. Take the offering of our presence here. The fact that we did show up. We could have been anywhere else when we came here. Would you take that? offering of obedience and would you bless it God would you destroy performative spirituality in the brook church kill it God would you destroy manipulative spirituality in the brook church erase it would you create something exceedingly authentic and nourishing here consistently God I I know we need bread. Some of us are like, Muchi, that sounded really good. First of the month is coming. I don't know what to do. But God, would we see that you're capable of providing in more ways than we could ever imagine? And would we seek you for that? Confidently and courageously? We have not because we ask not. Would we do the hard work of examining our lives and see if there's anything in us that reeks of bad stewardship? But what we see above all, that you're our greatest treasure. And that if we know you, if we know you, if we know you as father, if we die today, we die rich. Not because what's in our bank account but because of the storehouse in heaven and your presence. So God, some of us, we we need bread. it's, It's on our minds. I know we're distracted by it, but God, we actually need your beauty more. And God, some of us, we're asking for guidance. We're asking for it, but really we're reducing you to a counselor. You're not on the throne in heaven. So will we affirm who you are fully and see your words to us not as suggestions, but as the words of life. Make your name beautiful in our hearts. And as that beauty grows, God, we pray together that you would make your name beautiful in our city. That our neighbors would see the beauty of the Lord, his greatness and goodness. That you would be hallowed in our hearts, in our homes, and in our city. This we pray in your name. Amen.